the Sound Tradition, where we examine the theology, practices, and traditions of the contemporary church. My name is Jason Shirk. And my name is Luke Hitz. And we are coming to the close of our series on biblical music. We've got this podcast today, and then our next session, I believe, should be one of our last ones in the series. And as we've talked about music, we pointed out that music communicates on multiple levels. Music can communicate through the lyrics. The music communicates itself emotionally, physically, spiritually, and that's kind of where we left off with in our last podcast. And today we are picking up with one of the other ways that music communicates. Luke, do you have a uh, joke of the day? Yeah, so I was went into the bank, mm-hmm. and a lady came in there, and she thought I was a teller, and she asked me to check her balance. And yeah. So I pushed her over. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> so, okay. She didn't have a good she didn't have a good balance. Yeah. <laughs> she had low balance. Whatever. <laughs> well, uh today we are going to be delving into the next way that music communicates, and that is through its associations. This is probably a principle that a lot of people would like to argue against when it comes to the music issue in churches, but I do think it's an important issue, and we're going to kind of lay the scriptural foundation for it um, as we go through our notes today. So to start off with, we probably should define what we mean by the principle of association. Luke, you want to kind of explain what that means to you when I say the principle of association? What does that bring to mind? What I think of is what is this, well, obviously the word associate, what is this associated (laughs) with, but it's like what, what comes to your mind when you think of something or hear something like an, an example for me would be uh, Star Wars music. Like mm-hmm. if you hear, you hear this little refrain, da, 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 you're going to, your brain jumps, you know, to images and all kinds of, you know, it's, it's automatically associated with something. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and we do this with music. We do this with visual objects as well. If I were to see a, uh, a train tunnel painted on a brick wall, my mind would automatically jump to Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner, right? <laughs> you know, because of this visual image that we're used to seeing in the cartoons, you know. And our minds think that way. We associate different things with certain other objects. And so maybe the music itself doesn't have a certain type of message, but it carries an association with it. That is still going to be important to the listener and to churches as they make these decisions on what type of music they should have in their churches. Um, When you think about the idea of the principle of association, where we most see this illustrated is in words that we use. Now we know that words have different types of meaning. We have what we call denotative meaning and we have connotative meaning. Luke, what does denotative meaning mean? I only know because I read your notes. Oh, gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) I would have put the two together. I'm going to read your notes because I won't put it together very well. (laughs) It's main meaning, not including the feelings and ideas that people may connect with the words, like the dictionary Mm -hmm. meaning. Yeah. So what you you look up in the dictionary, if it says cool, the denotative meaning for the word cool is... Temperature. Temperature, chilly, you know, a little (laughs) below a certain temperature range. Literally today, it's a little cool outside. Yes, yeah. (laughs) I should have brought a jacket, and I didn't. And so that, that is what we call denotative meaning. But words don't just have denotative meaning. They also have what we call connotative meaning. Like the word cool. If I would say, oh, that's so cool. Am I meaning it's chilly? 
you know, not normally. No, not normally. Unless, you, unless you're making a pun or something. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's a uh, it's got a connotative meaning in our culture that has associated the word cool with something being popular or good. Even you know, this is this is good. Um, a couple other words that some subcultures will use that I think of with connotative meaning be like that's sick, man. You know, so <laughs> when I when I think of sick, I don't think of something that's really good. I think of your got COVID or something yeah you know, so. different generations latch onto weird words mm-hmm. used to like, for a while it, people would say tight tight that's yeah. tight yeah it is yep no idea why <laughs> but there's probably reasonings behind it but it's still the connotative meaning ca- carries along in certain cultures yeah but you and I are older now we say cool we still say cool yes but young nobody pe- else says cool young people nowadays I think they, they say, say lit or something, they or say lit. lit yeah they say lit but, yeah. I don't even know if it gets short for <laughs> literal or I don't, I don't no know idea. what it's, <laughs> so, that's lit. Yeah, we're, we're definitely aging ourselves now. <laughs> Another one that I heard, especially up in New England, people say, that's wicked, you know? Yeah. So is wicked, <laughs> now, is wicked a good thing? No, <laughs> so not, not denotatively. But in the connotative culture, it has, it has a connection to the idea of goodness or awesomeness, basically, in, in the way that it's being used. A physical yeah. example of this, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and this this one was actually kind of interesting for me because, uh, so we're going to talk about the swastika, okay, as a physical symbolic image that has both a denotative and a connotative meaning. So the swastika, what what is actually the swastika supposed to be, Luke? Do you know? What is it? You mean originally? Yeah. What it what it, what it is was it supposed to represent before it was used by Germany. It was mm-hmm. a symbol that was very old. Yeah. I think your note said meant good luck. Yes, yeah. I don't remember who it was, where it came from. It, it, it technically it's a symbol of a, of a cross, so it is a type of a cross. Um, and so that that I would consider more of its denotative meaning, but it has carried with it the idea of a connotative meaning of good luck. And I I saw a bunch of these symbols for the first time in person when I went to Nepal. Because mm-hmm. they're everywhere, you know. I'm like, okay, are we got a bunch of Nazis running around Nepal? And we might, you. Know, I mean, you have the, <laughs> the the Maoists and all that stuff in, in the country. Yeah. But my understanding is that Hitler, he borrowed from all over the place. He was mm-hmm. trying to set up the German race, the Aryan race. My wife read some article recently, but I guess uh, he he made up. It's not true that they're the Aryan race. He borrowed everything from all over the place. That we are the supreme race, and yeah. our roots go back, and we're Aryan, and it was, it was all. Hogwash, yeah, much, <laughs> including yep. including the swastika. Yep. But now, when if you were to see a swastika in downtown Brooklyn, New York, I don't I don't go. Oh, Nepal. <laughs> yeah. Don't go. Oh, that's a sign of good luck. They're wishing good luck on me. You know. So, no, we we have a connotative meaning that we have associated with it of racism or white supremacy that we got from Hitler because Hitler's messaging, Hitler's movement became so tied with that symbol. That now, when we see it, that is what we see. What we see, you know, that it may not be inherently intended mm-hmm. for that purpose, but has, by the principle of association, a certain type of meaning. So, if I wanted to write a "good luck on your job" application card to a friend of mine, would it be appropriate for me to put a swastika down at the bottom of that, wishing him good luck? Uh, he probably would misunderstand. Yeah, he pro- <laughs> probably would misunderstand. Yeah. And it sends the wrong message, a message that we don't want to communicate. I'm not saying, hey, I'm a white I'm a white supremacist and a hater. That's not the message I'm trying to send out to my friend who's trying to get a job. You know? Now, what if, let's just throw this out for fun. What if mm-hmm. your friend 
like you both had talked about this mm-hmm. and you you both knew okay this really is a symbol for good luck for, very ancient and so you put it on his test mm-hmm. and he knew exactly what you meant but somebody else saw it on his paper and was like what yeah. what is that on your paper yeah, I, <laughs> I think that that's probably where the danger still lies even though right. we both have an understanding of what it what it intends it has such an intensely negative uh, what's the word we're using? Association. Association. That yeah. you're, there's a fear of somebody else misunderstanding. Right. It's like, do we really want to try to explain this to every person yes. who comes along? Yeah. And if we don't get a chance to explain it, they're just going to assume what in the you know those people. There's something wrong with those people. Yeah. They're going <laughs> to assume the worst, probably. Right. Yeah. Now this this principle is not something new. It's something that churches have preached on throughout the years. I do believe, though that a lot of churches have taken the wrong Bible verses to present their case for this, rather than using ones that clearly do teach this concept. Uh, one of the most famous verses is First Thessalonians 5, verse 22, which says that we are to abstain from all appearance of evil. Okay. <clears throat> now, when, when you read it in the King James, you've got that word appearance right there, and so how do we oftentimes interpret the meaning of appearance? I almost bought some IBC root beer uh-huh. and brought it in here and offered it to Jason because it, this was a, this would be an example of something where, in my family, we went on a lot of road trips. Mm-hmm. And going down the road, my mom would, n- would not like it if I had a bottle of root beer and right. I was drinking it because somebody in another car might see me mm-hmm. and think I was drinking beer, right. not root beer. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was the appearance of evil. I was giving off the appearance of evil. Right. And so th- this verse has it's been taken to some extremes in cases. And I think, to be honest, it's, it has re- resulted in a lot of uh, fallacies in the way that we live our Christian lives, largely because we don't understand what the verse actually is saying. We've taken that word appearance, and we've taken it to mean the external appearance of something. If it looks like evil, then we shouldn't, we should avoid, we should abstain from it. And that, that might be a good thing, but, this, but we need to make sure that we're backing up our biblical principles from passages that actually teach what we're talking about. When the, the King James translators used the word appearance, it didn't, it didn't have so much that connotation to it. The word itself actually means a category or a kind of evil. So we're to abstain from all kinds of evil. And I think this is this might actually be a little bit more stricter than than uh, the other interpretation of it, because there's so much yeah. evil in the world that we're willing to tolerate, you know, especially in our forms of entertainment. We're willing to to let it slide because, oh, it's just a little evil. It's not really that bad of evil, you know, but every kind, right. every category of evil were to abstain from, according to this verse. Yeah. So in my in case of my mom, we were applying it to. We don't want people to see us and think that we're doing something evil, mm-hmm. but a better interpretation would be when all different kinds of evil appear before us, we yes. should avoid it. Yeah. So if somebody were to offer you the alcohol, you avoid it. You know. So, yeah. <laughs> right. And I, I think that. So does that mean that there's no principle of association? Yeah, oh, I, I can. Yeah, because that's. I don't have to worry about what anybody thinks because that right. verse. Mm-hmm. That's the only verse that talks about it, right? Right, and that, that's how most people respond. They they find out. Oh, I've been misinformed about this one bible verse and so they throw the whole idea out the window and i don't i don't think that's a legitimate response because we do see the principle of association found in other passages um in the sermon that i preached 
a um, few weeks ago, uh, probably months ago now. I don't remember how long ago it was. Yeah, a couple <laughs> months ago now. On the passage about uh, um, worshiping God in the way that he wants to be worshipped. Okay, they were, there were certain things that they weren't supposed to do in worshiping God because they were things that the world did to worship their gods. Okay, that, that, that principle right there is already talking about you can't use this to worship Jehovah because it's associated with the worship of pagan gods. You know, so you, you do have this principle throughout Scripture. Now, that, that's an Old Testament passage that supports this. We do have another passage actually in the same vicinity. Well, no, so in, in the New Testament that reiterates this concept in 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, which most people who don't like the appearance of it's evil, well, they'll jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, but they, <laughs> they miss out on the, these, uh, these concepts here. But this passage is often used to teach what we call the principle of deference. So deference is the idea of I am going to forego doing something for the benefit of somebody else. Okay. So we're not we're not going to do it because it could cause my brother to stumble or to fall into sin, according to this passage. And honestly, and a lot of it comes down to because what whatsoever is not a faith is it's a sin. If we can't in a clear conscience do something, then for me, that action is a sin. So in the case of Luke's mom with the IBC root beer, okay? If she really believed that drinking mm -hmm. the IBC root beer was wrong... And she's violating her own conscience. she's violating her own conscience if she were to do so. And for her, it would be a sin, you know? So there, not everybody's going to come down on the same position on some of these things. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul highlights the liberty that we have in Christ. But... Even though we have this liberty, we have the, in the case of 1 Corinthians 8, he's talking about the liberty to eat meat that's been offered to an idol, because an idol is nothing. But in verse 9, he concludes, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. So our liberty in Christ is not meant to be used as a weapon to destroy other people, to not, not care about their weak, their weak faith that they might have. Um, we don't want them to sin and to violate what God, what God has laid on their heart to do. And so if we're truly loving them as God loves them, we're going to avoid doing certain things that could lead them into temptation. Yeah, I always, you, I'm kind of skipping ahead in your notes a little bit, but I always, when I looked at these uh, situations in the Bible, in my mind I was like, okay, how does this apply? Because there's other passages where he says, well, here he says, you know, be careful of mm -hmm hurting somebody else and another teaching on this about meat he said i will not eat meat that's so long as i live so, yeah basically yeah, so basically so yeah but it, uh it has something that has to do with uh accessibility to information mm -hmm. because if he went to one city and he goes way up you know around the north of the, the uh not the red sea the um was it the mediterranean there where israel is right. he went up in all those greek cities mm -hmm. way across the map and somebody there would not have the same sensibilities of a person in Israel. And so there he's like, okay, nobody here has any problem with eating something offered to idols yeah. or whatever. So in that case, he'd say, okay, fine, I'll sit and eat with them, no mm -hmm. problem, go back to Israel. But, but now we live in a day where, you know, it's like anybody, if, what if he was on Facebook Live? Yes, yeah. Paul's like, I'm not going to eat meat on Facebook Live because anybody might see this. Mm -hmm. That would have changed everything. Yeah, and another another factor, I think, that would have affected Paul, even in his day, is his position, his standing. 
Mm-hmm. Because Paul is somebody that all the Christians would have known in the Gentile world. And so if one church sees him doing one thing, that, and that spreads to another church and hurts well, another brother. Well, know? that's the question. I've always <laughs> you know? wondered, it's like, how did that work? Because it, yeah. se- it seems like he was saying in some places he would, in some places he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But back then, people didn't, you know, we can just get in a car and go, we're going to go visit with all the other churches from the right. entire city. People didn't do that. They stayed in their city. So I don't know how much that applies, but we are going to, yeah. in a little bit later, we're going to talk about Yes. The, Information. Yes, definitely. Now, <laughs> how, how would how, things have changed? We also have to ask ourselves, how does how does this concept or this passage tie into the principle of association? So let's start with this. What about the meat would potentially cause my brother to stumble? It was the fact that it was offered to idols. Okay, it was That's the what, fact that it was associated with right, evil idol worship. Right. You know? And Paul, Paul further clarifies this in, in the next passage we're going to look at. So it was associated with evil idol worship. Mm-hmm. The meat in and of itself was nothing. The idol was nothing. The only concern here was its association mm-hmm. with the with the idol worship. And so in such cases, Paul tells us, if it's going to hurt our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to have deference, and we need to choose not to eat. Okay? But that principle of deference in this passage was based also on the principle of association. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 27 through 32, all also deal with similar concepts says in verse 27 if any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and ye be disposed to go whatsoever is set before you eat asking no questions for conscience sake so i will throw this out here this verse teaches that missionaries should eat everything that they're given (laughs) yeah well i imagine there's some uh for them stumbling over the appearance of it themselves, just like, <laughs> yeah, they associate that with grossness. Yeah. <laughs> like the, what is it, the, the duck? Monkey brains or something like that. Or they, uh, they boil the... Oh, balut. Balut. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not just a raw egg. It's like the egg... Partially formed. Hasn't hatched yes. yet. Yeah. And yeah. then you're supposed to eat that. Yeah, it's nasty. And they're black. On the inside. It's really nasty. Verse but, 28, though, says, But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols... Eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink, and or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, meaning don't cause people to sin, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. So it's a similar passage. You have a lost person invites you over to dinner. Uh, you're supposed to eat whatever they set before you. However, Paul says, if they announce during the dinner, this meat was offered to an idol, Paul says, do not eat it. Why shouldn't we eat it again? Because it is associated in that person's mind with the temple worship of idols. So he's, he's, still, he's still developing this idea, the principle mm-hmm. of association. Um, and it and comes down to the association of in the other person. The, the other person. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 13, he says, I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one, know not to eat. 
For what have I to do with to judge them that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. But them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So this verse still, is, still applies to the principle of association. But more clearly it's what we call the principle of separation. So separation means if, there, if something is wrong, I'm going to separate from it. So if I... Um, this, this applies to situations like, again, going back to 1 Timothy 5.22. I'm watching a movie, and a sex scene pops up from, in it. I'm to avoid it. I'm to separate from it. And in, in the passage we just looked at, if there's a brother or a sister in Christ who is a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, what is my response? I am to separate from them. But why am I to separate from them? Is it because they're morally going to contaminate me? Is that really the issue? Because in the same passage, Paul says, don't separate from the lost people who do those things, but separate from the person who says he's a Christian <laughs> and does these things. Yep. it's It gets really hairy because mm-hmm. there's so many situations that could, without trying to get into all those, you know, whether it's rabbit trails, it, <laughs> rabbit trails, yeah. you know, entertainment and, mm-hmm. but, you know, applying this to music now. Mm-hmm. So how does this apply to music? Let me, let me tie the connection on, off on that last one first, and then we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. So the reason I'm to separate from the brother who is living in these sins is because of his association with the, with the evil that's there. Mm-hmm. He is not separated from evil. I'm to separate from, from him in right. that case. You know? So it's still it's the principle of association. I don't want to become associated with a fornicator. I don't want to send out a message to the world saying it's all right for a Christian to commit fornication. Or right. to be an idolater or a drunkard <clears throat> or any of these other things. You know? And so Paul concludes that we're not to keep company with them. And so we call this the principle of separation. So we've had three principles. They're all tied to this principle of separation. Principle of deference, principle of separation, and the principle of association. So how does mm-hmm. this relate to music? It comes down to, you know, clearly when you hear music, it's what instantly connections do you make in your brain mm-hmm. uh, some things music is so unique because you know once words have been written and once you know their signals just get locked in and you can ne- it can never be taken away right. the association and to some degree like uh, some people are going to make associations other people won't mm-hmm. because knowledge is different and that's where all that's where this comes into play mm-hmm. being very careful like uh, you, you've mentioned in here a couple of people's music We'll I don't even really know who they are. Don't listen to music, yeah. so you might <laughs> I'll explain it. Yeah. You might come up with a song and be like, and I'd be like, oh, that's a that's an interesting song, and I would not make the association right. because I I don't know who they are. Yeah, and basically all our previous podcasts have developed the idea that music can denotatively be wrong, meaning in its yes. essence it sends the wrong message, an immoral message. But there is another layer to music that we have to consider. And that is association. And this this has become an issue for a lot of our churches especially because mm-hmm. we don't necessarily have a rock band up on the stage and we aren't performing rock music. But a lot of independent Baptist churches have begun to start using um, cleaned up CCM yes. songs. Okay? <laughs> and there, there's two sources for, mo- for most of these. You have Sovereign Grace Music and you have Keith and Kristen Getty. And when you look at the lyrics to their music, it is deeper than most of what Majesty Music, uh, Soundforth, and all those groups have written. The words are really, really well written. And that is why there has been this draw mm-hmm. into using 
cleaned up versions of the CCM songs. And so they're, they're being adopted into our musical repertoires in a lot of churches. And both of these artists, they have crafted their music in such a way that it could generally be played as either a rock song or as a traditional hymn style song. So it's kind of a bridge type of music. Right. It can be performed either way. And uh, Getty's music in its writing tends to be less rock oriented than Sovereign Grace music does. Um, and D Doug Backrick actually did a three-part study on both these movements, Sovereign Grace music and Getty Townsend music. And if you don't know these names, you might know some of their songs. Obviously, Keith and Kristen Getty wrote In Christ Alone. Um, they also were part of writing How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Uh, Sovereign Grace music has written some songs. Uh, trying to think of probably their most popular, <laughs> popular See, ones that I, I don't know. know. This, and this yeah. is where I think it'd be dangerous. There's a lot of people mm -hmm. who, you know, we just don't go out and look for it or don't yep. know it. And so we would just have no clue. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't even realize maybe that we were, you know, it might be somebody like who'd never heard of the, the swastika or the Jeremy, like they're just completely oblivious. Maybe somebody in Nepal just didn't know. And then somebody would be like, whoa, why do you have that? And you'd be like, whoa, what? And you don't realize you caused a problem. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. And, and it, is, it is an issue, you know, so. And, but with Sovereign Grace music, some of their more popular songs on here. Let's go ahead and pull this up. <sighs> a Debtor to Mercy. Um, in alphabetical order so that's making it hard <laughs> so um it is not death to die is actually one of my favorite songs that they've written as a song for funerals basically um but you've got you've got all kinds of different songs that bus steve pettit began this movement to popularize sovereign grace music within our our independent baptist churches and then this has been carried on by a couple of other mm -hmm. groups but uh Doug Backer did a, like I said, a three-part analysis of the cleaned-up CCM songs that we've been tending to bring into independent Baptist churches. And he, I just read a longer quote from him real quick. It says, if we truly believe that music itself communicates, which all the authors do, the rock musicians do, we must give the priority in music to the music makers, those who determine the message. But what do we do about those whose music sends mixed messages? It must be recognized that the question of mixed messages goes beyond the blend of music and lyrics, and they ask beyond the realm of the music makers themselves. It is precisely at this point that the music discussion moves into the realm of association. Association is the message of a song conveyed not in the music, nor in the lyrics, but in the culture that it represents. Because association is so intrinsically tied to culture, it is dictated not by the composer or the performer, but by the arena or context in which they operate, an arena that must be shared to some extent by the audience for an association to exist. As evidenced by 1 Corinthians 8, the Apostle Paul believed associations were significant. However, he did not believe they were ultimate. Two truths must be noted from this passage. The limitations he opposed upon himself were with reference to that which was morally neutral. So first of all, I was dealing with something that was morally neutral. Second, he employed his restrictions not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of others. We have already dealt with the question of musical language and text. Now we can move to a consideration about the associations attached to the music, particularly with a view toward how one's own use of it might affect others. While the number of associations that it may exist are innumerable, 
it is instructive to inquire as to what kinds of associations a song may have. Though not a conclusive list, the following categories seem broad enough to suffice. What identification with a particular author or composer, identification with a particular artist or performer, identification with a genre or style, identification with a particular theology, identification with a particular group or movement. These are all aspects of association that we need to consider. Mm -hmm. All art of which music is a part is produced in a culture and therefore is not without associations. But the question of association is rarely an issue until a work or group becomes large enough to be identified in conjunction with some aspect of the culture that particularizes it. That is, it must become a recognizable part of a contributing player within culture. Increasingly, the ministries of Sovereign Grace Music and Great and Getty Townsend Music fit that qualification. Because all music has associations, we must ask of the music put out by these ministries what those associations are. Asking the question the way already, this way already classifies the music according to its authors or composers who often perform their own music, and having dealt with the theology and philosophy with regard to texts, only two types of so association remain to be dealt with. The authors have taken pains, this is talking about Bacharach, and a long time to get to the point of application, but we felt it important to work through this issue in front of the readers so that our personal ministerial applications would make sense. We also hope that by seeing the process, readers might be helped in wrestling with other issues that are not as black and white as we might wish. So he goes through and he analyzes, okay, the printed music. Do, does the music of Sovereign Grace and Getty Townsend have rock elements in the printed form? Sovereign Grace is problematic, meaning it, a lot of it does. Mm. Getty Townsend music, he says, in the printed form is mostly fine. Most of it is generally without the rock elements in it. As they perform it, Sovereign Grace is very problematic, meaning always rock music pretty much. Getty Townsend is oftentimes, although they will also use I Irish style settings mm -hmm. to compose their music. Now when it comes to the texts, most of the texts in both categories are pretty good. Sovereign Grace tends to be a little bit more charismatic. They are what we call a charismatic Calvinist organization. Okay, So that, that's their claim to fame in the in the Charismatic Calvinist. Charismatic Calvinist. <laughs> which most, most new Calvinists are in that category. That's interesting. Yeah. But both of them are limited in the range of truths that they present. So, But they do have deep, deep <clears throat> words to them. Now, as far as the association, both of them struggle with the principle of association because of the style of worship that they are both performed in, their affiliations with the newer Calvinism and the charismatic ministries, and then the affiliation with the, the worldliness of rock CCM in, in general. So the principle of association is an important one for us to continue and to mm -hmm. and to consider when we make decisions about music, especially music that we're going to be using right. in the church. And I think a, just an important quick distinction is the fact that we're not talking about the fact that these people are sinners. Right. Because yeah. everybody's a sinner. Yeah. If a, a church, when I go to church, so, oh, well, you know what he did in his past. Well, if we, then none of us would be would be performing anything. Right. It has more to do with what they as an organization stand for, their mm -hmm. beliefs. And we're saying, hey, we, we don't agree with them. Yeah. And we don't want people to think we do because they hear our church singing one of their songs. That's, that's a consideration. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a couple points and then some questions to ask before we leave. We've got to wrap this up. But... 
the principle of association does have an expiration date on it. Things that were associated with the bars and Martin Luther's day have made it into our hymn books because they're no longer associated with those, those things. Um, Sovereign Grace music, Getty Townsend music, there may come a day when that association dies out. So that is an important aspect to keep in mind. Usually that timeline is about 50 years, but with the, with the um, emergence of the internet, <laughs> that makes things harder because records are preserved more long term. It, I think associations are going to last longer. It's so much the inf we're in the information age. Yeah, and and this is where it becomes an issue because like if I get up in church and I perform or sing a Getty Townsend song, somebody in my youth group loves that song, and they go and they look it up on YouTube, mm -hmm. and they take that as an endorsement of this type of music, and it'll lead them in a direction that I don't want them to go basically with their with their musical preferences. So it's sending the wrong message about what we believe about music when we when we do this. So some real quick questions to ask related to the principle of association. Will this activity require you to associate with something that's evil? Okay, so is, is it gonna involve evil being evident in what we're doing? What is the present dominant association of the activity? And what does society immediately associate with this given activity? Those are, those are three questions that will just help amplify or broaden your understanding of how something carries an association with it. Right. Okay, grace and peace be with you. Hopefully this will be helpful. In this case, this is an issue more of wisdom, and people are going to come down in different areas on a lot of these issues. Yeah. But we need to have wisdom. That's something that God expects us to have as believers.